Beautiful day, huh? And I'm really uh, digging that we're getting into fall because fall is my favorite time of year. There's so much excitement in the air in Providence. Uh, college students are coming back. Um, the leaves are starting to change. The air is just about the right uh, temperature. Um, well, maybe a couple more weeks where you kind of have to figure out are you going to wear a sweatshirt that morning or not. Um, and uh, if you're a football fan, football starts and, you know, everything changes. It seems like everything is about football now. Like, I don't know how many different stations you can turn on, and there's football constantly. Uh, if you're not a football fan, then you probably are annoyed, but anyway. Um, my name is John. I'm going to be uh, sharing the word with you this morning. So before we uh, get into it, let's, uh, let's just say a quick word of prayer. God, we thank you that you're already here, because you said we're two or more gathered in your name. You're here with us, and we're here for you. We're here in the name of Jesus this morning. I pray, God, that um, as we share and as we speak and as I speak, Lord, that um, we would hear from you. We would hear your voice, God, um, pushing all the distracting things away. Um, give us ears to hear and eyes to see um, in the spiritual realm this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, Wednesday night, um, somebody will be up here to uh, share a little bit about um, more about some of the stuff that we do um, throughout the week. But uh, one of the things that we do do is, um, uh, thanks. Um, is we have Wednesday night uh, refresh meetings, which are our, our prayer time. And uh, they've been good, but uh, I'll tell you what, this past Wednesday was powerful. Um, it was really, um, we prayed for a lot of stuff, and at some point it got brought up, uh, we should be praying for revival in the high schools. So we prayed for, you know, Bishop Hendrickson and Cranston East and Classical and Central, and uh, it just, then it moved into revival about more and more different things. And, and I, f I felt like it's been a while since we've actually talked about revival, because, I mean, it's always been part of what we talk about, um, but it, it being such a focus in prayer, because, you know, we were during this, doing this pandemic thing, and even though we were a pretty healthy church considering, we were still trying to just do the things through a pandemic that we should be doing, like the regular things, doing some outreach and doing some stuff. But uh, lot, this past Wednesday, it felt like we, we hit it. And we were, it's time to start praying more for revival in our city. Um, and it was so powerful for uh, me. Afterwards, I mentioned, you know, I'm preaching Sunday. You know, we're going through the book of Acts. We're doing a study on the book of Acts, and I'm preaching on Acts 12. And I wish there were some way I could incorporate the theme of revival in my message. And someone laughed and said, um, you're speaking out of Acts. <laughs> That's what the book is all about. Um, I was like, oh, yeah. Um, now, not everything that happens in the first century church, which is what Acts is about, the uh, first church, um, not everything that happens is perfect um, because it's filled with people. Um, but it is the story of God working through his people to build that church. And really, uh, it's an example to us as how we ought to live, act, and believe as we build his church, not just Renaissance, but his church universal 
globally, globally in providence and pray for revival in our land. So I'm going to uh, continue our study, and I'm uh, going to be speaking out of Acts 12. So uh, I'll start at verse 1, and, and we'll see how much we can get through. So it says, About that time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Now, in case you're not aware of who Herod was, he was kind of the lead official of the land of Judea, uh, the Jewish population in Rome. He was actually of Jewish, uh, Jewish ethnicity and descent, but he was a sellout. He was allegiant to Caesar, the emperor of Rome. And he wasn't really a king, but he kind of liked that title. More prop- properly, he was known as a procurator or a tetrarch, the tetrarch of Judea. Sort of like the governor um, of this mostly Jewish providence of Judea, where Jerusalem and the temple were, but not a governor in that he had a lot more power. Um, The stories of Herod show him to be a jealous, uh, pathologically wicked person with no regard for others. He terrorized his subjects and often and usually killed his political rivals. So verse 2, it says, he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. This was the first of the 12 disciples to be martyred. Verse 3, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of the festival of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So at this point, even after Jesus had been resurrected, the Holy Spirit had come in power upon Jews and Gentiles alike, the gospel was spreading, and the church was growing. Even during all this, the Christians, which they now had this name Christians, and who were most still ethnically Jewish, were still in the minority. They, had seen, they were still seen as a threat to both the Jewish ruling class in Judea, as well as a nuisance to the Roman Empire. So when it says in that first verse, it pleased the Jews, it meant that it pleased the ruling class and probably a majority of the citizens. So Herod put James, one of the 12, to death, and he was preparing to do the same to Peter. Now think about this for a minute with me. As a Christian, as they were now called in this time, you are a minority, a marginalized person. But you, feel, uh, fully, but you fully believe that God has got your back, that you're blessed and chosen by him, and you're on the winning team, and you've really begun to have a lot of success, but only to realize that you're still marginalized, you've still got a target on your back, to the point that those with all the power are out to get you, even to kill you. And they have succeeded, and they're about to do it again. So what do you do? What did they do? Verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest, powerful, constant, earnest prayer for him 
was made to God by the church. And this is where we'll focus a little bit more this morning. Now, those of you who've been around for a while uh, at Wren um, know how prayer has always been kind of a, a central focus for us. It's kind of been the biggest focus of, of, of what we're about. Um, it seems to me that uh, our senior pastor, Scott, when he preaches, about half of all of his uh, messages are about prayer. Um, I don't know. It just seems that way. You can't know Scott and not think about prayer. Um, even if you don't agree with it, there, I used to joke that I didn't agree with everything that he always said, like, um, but I always knew that he prayed about it, so I wasn't too worried that like, I was probably wrong in some way. Um, and that's usually what happened. Um, now, if we're going to talk about prayer, some of you love that because you love prayer. You love hearing about prayer uh, a lot. Um, and some of you get anxiety about it. Oh, he's going to talk about prayer. Uh, because you feel like you should pray more. Um, well, th- just take heart, because we're all in that category at some level. We should all pray more. You know, nobody prays enough, but God has grace and, and shows us. But today I'm not going to tell you about how much you should pray or even necessarily, necessarily how to pray. But I want to give you a few thoughts and and hopefully let scripture, which is God's very word, speak for itself. So if we're going to talk about it, you you, you can't, we're going to talk about it because you can't get around it. Prayer ought to be our life as followers of Christ. It's our connection to God. It's our ministry. And if we as a church are seeking to strip away all the fluff and external man-made junk that distracts us and the legalism that chokes us to get back to the raw heart of God, the gospel, and the example of the first century church fathers, we recognize that Acts is full of this. God's people praying. I didn't write down all the different parts, but God's people are praying constantly throughout Acts. This is one one of the distinguishing signs of the early church and really every truly healthy church today. So they prayed. And then, verse 6. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly! And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Why so much detail, right? Like, get, get dressed. Don't go out naked. Like, why so much detail? Well, I mean, I read a little bit about this, and, and this is not just true about this, but when you read stories that have detail, it's usually as a proof that it was a real event, right? Most scholars agree that if it was a made-up event or a myth or even a metaphor, then there would be no such need for mundane details. This really happened. And Peter uh, comes to that realization along the way, too. Verse 9, and he went out and followed him. He, di- he did not know what was being done by the angel. He did not know that what 
being done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along the street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the land of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Now, if you recall, we've been going through Acts for a, a number, for a couple of months now. If you recall, something similar happened to Peter in Acts chapter 5 when an angel rescued Peter from jail. The thing is, is if you compare the stories, chapter 3's jail seemed like a, a, a minimum, minimum security, like town jail, where this was maximum security with multiple guards and Paul actually being chained to two of them. And the end result was clearly for him to be brought out and executed as well. But continuing on verse 12, when Peter realized this, that this was really happening, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the gate of the, the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. This is kind of funny. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind, you know? But she kept insisting, and it was so. No, 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 really, it's Peter. Hey, I swear, it's Peter. And they kept saying, well, no, it must be his angel. Um, but Peter kept on knocking like, um, hello, I'm out here. I'm a fugitive. <laughs> and when they opened it, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought them out of prison. And he said, tell these things to James. This is a different James than the one that had already been executed. To James and to, his bro to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. So God miraculously rescued Peter's life. And it's clear that this earnest prayer from verse 5 has something to do with it. So in talking about prayer a little bit this morning, I know a lot of you guys are prayer people, right? Like I said, you know, a lot of you just love prayer. And there's, we could talk about all the different types of prayer, but that would be a long series of sermons. So this morning I'm going to talk a little bit about the asking the petitioning, the asking God for stuff, part of prayer. It's just part, but I think it's a big part that a lot of times we don't talk about, or maybe we do, but I, that's what they're doing here this morning. So if you're a prayer person or, or just a person who prays, what do you typically pray for? Like, I mean, what, what do you pray for daily? Um, that God would help you get through the day without stressing out at work or school or home, that your finances would be okay, that God would protect and heal your kids from their colds and sickness, that you use your time well to study for your organic chemistry exam. I pray for these types of things every day and have a pretty strong measure of faith and trust that God hears these. Now the question would be, are these miracles like when God answers them? Well, 
I personally cannot keep my stress level in check on my own. I can't heal a cold on my own. I can't even protect my kids alone. And uh, I was never able to do, use my time well in organic chemistry. <laughs> Hence, my major became communications. Um, yeah, I did it. I did it for a semester. Just one. Um, so yeah, I'd say these are miracles. God does something that we cannot do. So we ask him, help. And you know what? I think God truly loves to hear these requests. He knows what troubles our heart already, but he loves to hear us ask for help. I think it gives him great joy when we trust him enough to give over what burdens us to him. I think he loves it. He's like, yeah, bring more. Bring it on. I got it. I got your back. Even what we might call these small things. So pray these prayers. I challenge you to pray these prayers. Don't ever be embarrassed or ashamed or think that your worries are too small for God to care or that you're wasting his time. <clears throat> these are really important things. Even daily Petitioning prayer with God tends to bring us closer and deeper into the relationship he wants with us. But this morning, there's another type of prayer going on in this passage that I'd like to look at. Prayers that are not in the realm of normal or tactile possibility. When it looks like everything is going in one way and God leads us to pray beyond that one way. Yes, we pray for our daily bread, but how often do we pray for the really big, audacious things? Like for Peter to be rescued from maximum security prison and certain death. Like for God to heal someone who has stage four cancer. Like for someone who struggles with depression or mental health issues to be freed from the bondage supernaturally. Like someone who was born blind or crippled would gain full sight or get up and walk. Like those addicted to alcohol or opiates, opi opioids hanging out on this very street this very morning to be suddenly freed for good. Like revival to break loose and hundreds of people to get saved at Central High School, Bishop Hendrickson, or Brown, or RISD, or your place of work, or your neighborhood. Or like the Holy Spirit to break the cycle of poverty of everyone in our neighborhood. Those are big, audacious prayers, and I think God loves them. Have you ever prayed those kinds of prayers? Now, there's some of you out here who I can say with certainty that yes, you do pray those big, audacious prayers regularly because I've been in prayer meetings with you, and I've heard you pray them, and I'm always encouraged, and sometimes a little bit like, man, I need to pray more for big things. So if you don't pray those things, if your response is not, no, I don't, why not? Why don't we pray those big audacious prayers? Well, let me, let me make it clear here. I, this is not a message that's meant to be a judgy thing at all, right? I'm not up here to bring God's condemnation down on, on, on us. But I am putting forth the question of how we think about God's work. And I'm, you know, I'm not just asking y'all these questions, but myself also. 
why don't I pray more this way? Why don't we pray these kinds of prayers? Well, we could go through a variety of reasons why we don't. But I've got a few things of things that maybe challenge us and get in our way of us praying big, audacious prayers. One of them is maybe you don't believe that God works that way. Um, Now, I feel like if you read the book of Acts and believe that the Bible is truth and God's word, you kind of have to admit that not only Acts, but really all of Scripture show God working this way. That's, you know, he's in the business of doing miracles. That's, that's what he does, right? It's not the only thing that he does, but that's what he does. And usually we find, specifically in Acts, but all over, he usually does this through the vehicle of his people's prayers. Another thing is maybe you, you do believe, but sort of, but maybe it's like, God doesn't really work that way anymore. And I know that there's, there's some theology that says that, but I, I can't get past that. Like, I read a couple of verses, like Hebrews 7, where it says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's never changed. It's always been true. And I, pairing that with John 14, 12, where Jesus says to his disciples, and I'm not reading this out of context. You can read the whole context. He says, I tell you the truth. Any who, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works. He raised people from the dead. I don't know how much greater you can get than that. But, and then he goes on the very next verse and he says, yes, ask me anything in my name and I will do it. So deal with that. You know, I'm not going to go on with that. Just you know, figure out how you can get around that. Or simply, maybe you're there and this morning and you, you say, well, I've never really seen anything like this. So you've never even thought about praying big, audacious prayers. There's a book of James that says, well, you have not because you ask not. Another way of saying that is, you don't see answers to your prayers because you never prayed, you know? Don't ask for God to answer your prayers if you're not praying. So to those, I encourage you to try it and be amazed. Testing God can be a really bad thing. But this is one of the ways testing God is actually a good thing. With a pure heart, you go to him and say, God, Show me what you can do. And I think with a pure heart, if you say that, he will. Or maybe you prayed for the big audacious things and God didn't answer the way you wanted. And you're just not sure anymore. This is by far the hardest reason to respond to. I would venture to guess that a lot of us Probably most of us fall into that category. It is one of the great theological questions that has meaning for our real lives. Now my guess is that some of these same church people who were praying for Peter were the same ones who were praying for James. Where was their faith? I don't know, because all we're told 
is that they still prayed earnestly and they prayed big, audacious prayers for Peter. Um, Let me get a little personal here. Closer to home for me was when 12 years ago, my brother died from an aggressive form of cancer. He was young. Um, He had kids that were, you know, around the same age as my kids were 12 years ago, which was, you know, very young. I prayed a lot, and I prayed big, audacious prayers. And he died. Now, I didn't understand, and and was kind of thrown for a loop, because I had seen God answer other prayers. So my emotions were kind of rolling, you know, going from one thing to the next. Mourning and stuff like that. But while my emotions were rolling, my faith in Jesus and his goodness was my rock. I had to go back and to what I had learned early on and what I was sure was true. I've seen him do so many good things. I just had to reconfess that he is God and I trust that he is good father. And I had to go deep. I couldn't just move on. I had to go deep into prayer. I had times of personal prayers of lament, questioning, and even anger. And it was a process. It was weeks, months. I feel like even recently, I've been going through some of these questions and, and uh, part of the process. I mean, it takes a process. But in that process, it was healing. Now, so you may not get the answer you're looking for all the time. But for me, I found something far greater. I received a deeper comfort I didn't know before. A deeper understanding of the loving nature of God. And a willingness to give up trying to control everything. Now, some of you guys think that I'm a control freak now, but man, I was. And, now this one doesn't make sense, but I came out with a renewed faith of God is able and that he does answer big, audacious prayers. My faith was stronger through that. So maybe that's the point, that our ultimate faith is not necessarily in the answer we want, but our faith is the one who answers it. Get what I'm saying? Our faith is not necessarily in the answer we want, but our faith is in the one, Jesus, who answers it. So my challenge to you this morning is to continue to bring to God your daily concerns. God, give me my daily bread. Help me today. And secondly, if you've been finding yourself unable or unwilling to pray for the big audacious things, Maybe ask yourself these questions we posed. Where am I? Why why don't I? And again, just like I already encourage you, step out and try. Try him. And if we're feeling timid for some reason, be honest and tell him. I want to end with another story, but this is actually back in uh, Scripture. In Mark 9... I'll read it. You don't have to go there, but I will be starting at verse 20. 
Mark 9, we find this desperate father needing Jesus to heal his son of demon possession. So starting at verse 20, it says, And they brought the boy to him, to Jesus. And when the spirit, the evil spirit, saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled over, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, <laughs> all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And Jesus healed the boy. I love that verse. I believe, help my unbelief. Because I don't, if you're like me, you struggle with the belief sometimes. And you feel like you have this measure of belief, but oh man, to go and pray or do that thing next, I don't know. But God, I already believe. How my any unbelief that's in me, rid me of that. Jesus understands where we're at already. And he will and wants to build our faith, right? God, we do believe. Rid me of any unbelief that I have. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, Scott, you can come up. And